Well, amen and amen. Would you just give the Lord a hand this morning? I just want us to do that. Just tell the Lord how much you love him, how grateful you are for him. I want to thank you for being here. Uh, this is uh, really, I consider this kind of the first Sunday of the summer. And uh, so I'm grateful that you came. If you brought a copy of God's Word, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. I want you to turn to the book of Acts, and I want you to turn to the 20th chapter. And I want to tell you about a Christmas that I will never forget. I know we've all had very memorable Christmases. I want to tell you about a Christmas that I, I guess of all the Christmases I had when I was a kid, this one will always stick out in my mind for a number of reasons. This Christmas was the first time that I had been given money by my parents so I could go and buy them a Christmas gift because every year, and it takes a while for a kid to realize this, but we all kind of come to this realization sooner or later, you wake up and you realize one Christmas, you know, everybody gives me a gift, but I don't give anybody a gift. And so, uh, you know, I, I finally hit that stage in my own life when I realized, now something's wrong with this picture because they're giving me stuff that I'm not giving them anything. So being too young to work and not being smart enough to ask for an allowance, I went to my mom and I said, Mom, would you let me do some extra work around the house and earn some extra money so I could buy you and dad and, and, and my brother some Christmas gifts? Now, in essence, I really didn't wind up doing anything more than I was, normally did. I just did my normal chores. I mean, there were certain things I'd do every morning. I'd do make up my bed and keep my room clean and I'd help mom sweep or do some things like that, take out the trash or whatever. But, you know, she didn't really ask me to do anything really more, but I got the money anyway. Now, let me just tell you right up front, my motives started out right in the beginning, okay? They, they really did, but let me tell you what happened. I go to the store to buy them something. I, Mom took me up to the square up in Gainesville, and I said, Mom, don't go with me because I, I want this to be a surprise for you and Dad. She said, okay. So how many of you remember the old five-and-dime store Woolworth? How many of you remember Woolworth? Okay, well, I went to Woolworth, okay? Some of you are not old enough to remember Woolworth, but I went to Woolworth. A five, well, you don't even know what a five-and-dime store is. You know, it's like Yogi Bear said, a dime ain't worth a nickel anymore. But anyway, um, I went to the store to buy them something, and I couldn't figure out what to get them. And, you know, I realized I didn't have money to buy them something like clothes or something that may, might be able to use, so I looked at the few dollars that I had in my hand, and this is the question that came to my mind. What would I want? I mean, sounded logical to me. So I bought both of my parents two things. You may remember this. You used to could get bubble gum, and it would be wrapped in individual little plastic, little bubble gum balls. And it used to be wrapped in individual little, you know, little plastic pieces of paper. I bought them a string of bubble gum that would stretch from here to the back of the worship center. And then I bought them uh, a Milky Way apiece. So that was my Christmas gift, all this bubble gum. And then I bought them a Milky Way. Well, I carefully wrapped up each gift and put it under the tree. And, and, and in the back of my mind, I kind of was hoping something would happen. Because on Christmas morning, when my parents opened their gift... I'll never, ever forget the look on their face. I, I wish I had a, I'd give $1,000 if I had a, a snapshot of that picture. It was, a, it was a look on their face that basically said, I think we're getting the short end of the stick on this deal. Okay, that, that was kind of the look they had on their face. Well, my mom, being the tender-hearted person that she is, she smiled and she said, well, son, thank you for the gift. You know, it's the thought that really counts, but you know, I don't really want it. You can have it. Well, that made me very happy. Things were working out great. My plan was, was going all right. Dad, however, something else. 
I never will forget, my dad took the, all that gum and kind of wrapped it up in one big wad of plastic, and he kind of tossed it over to me, mumbling something. Frankly, it sounded like a four-letter word. And he put the Milky Way in his shirt pocket. Well, not being satisfied and mustering up all the courage that I could, I looked at my dad and the spirit of Christmas, and I said, Dad, could I have that Milky Way? Now, what happened next, I'm not kidding, I would give $5,000 if I had this on a DVD. I'll never forget what happened. My brother knows this story. With fire flashing up from his eyes, he indignantly looked at me and said, you'll not have this. And he reached into his pocket. He, I'll never forget, he peeled that Milky Way wrapper off in one shot like it was a banana. He put the whole thing in his mouth at one time, that whole Milky Way in his mouth. And I can still see my dad to this day trying to get his mouth around that Milky Way. It was like a giant washing machine turning over clothes. And he kept trying to get that, that, that Milky Way. All the time, it was rolling over between his teeth. He had daggers in his eyes. And the other thing that I remember about that Christmas day, my dad never spoke to me the rest of Christmas. Now, looking back, I know what my problem was. And frankly, it was the same problem that we all have. We were all born with this problem. You don't have to teach kids to have this problem. It just comes natural. And that is the desire to get. The desire to to receive, the desire to get the long end of the stick, the desire to get what we want, even if it may mean taking it from someone else. In, in, in short, here's, I'm just being honest, God knows the truth. I was not giving to give. I was giving to get. I did not give them that gum and that candy because I wanted them to have it. I gave them that gum and that candy because I wanted me to have it. Now, the question is, well, why would I do that? Because I was convinced of something that we all in this room are born believing. It's wrong, but we're born believing it. Here's what we're born believing. We are born with the absolute unshakable belief that it's better to get than it is to give. That in the long run, your bottom line will look a lot better if you get instead of giving. Now, I wish I had known and believed that Christmas morning the truth of something that Jesus said. It's a direct quote. And by the way, it's very interesting. What I'm about to share with you, it is the only direct quote we ever find that was given by Jesus outside the four Gospels. It's found in the book of Acts. It was quoted by the Apostle Paul, and it was evidently something. Jesus evidently had said this so many times on so many different occasions that evidently the early Christians had memorized it. It wasn't in the four Gospels, but Paul had heard it from other Christians, and Paul wrote it down, and it's in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, and here's what Jesus said. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, as you know, I majored in accounting. So let's think about that logically. Logically, that doesn't make sense. Logically, my mind tells me that can't be right. Because, I mean, let's just, let's, we're going to lay this out. If, if I give you something that you don't have, logic says you will have more of what you didn't have and I will have less of what I did have. I'm going to say that again. 
If I give you something that you don't have, logic says you will have more of what you didn't have, and I will have less of what I did have. Now, if, you, if, if that logically makes sense, would you just hold your hand up? I want to make sure we're all in the game here, okay? I'm just being logical. I mean, that's what logic tells me. Now, if that's true, if I give something you don't have, therefore you wind up having more of what you didn't have, and I, have less, I wind up having less of what I did have, then if that's true, there is no way you're more blessed by giving than you are by receiving. If your bottom line goes up and my bottom line goes down, how in the world am I more blessed by giving than I am receiving? However, there's one other wrench you've got to throw into the equation. If what Jesus said is true, then some way... Somehow, in the economy of the God who created this universe, you really are better off and you really are more blessed by giving than you are by receiving. If what Jesus said is true, that means that between the blessing of giving and the blessing of receiving, the blessing of giving is the greater blessing. Now, therein lies a principle that I want to teach you this morning that will change, I hope, your whole perspective on this giving versus getting. I want you to write this down. If what Jesus said is true, this has to be true. Giving does not take from you what you should not have. It gives to you what you would never have if you did not give. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to read that two or three times. I want you to, this is important. This is one of those I wish you'd put it in front of your Bible. Giving does not take away from you what you should not have. That's why people don't give. Well, if I give, then I won't have that. If I have $100 and I give 10, I'll only have 90 left. If, if, if I've got two apples and I give you one, you'll have one, but I'll only have one and where I used to have two. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Giving does not take from you what you should not have. It gives to you what you would never have if you did not give. Now, I thought through what Jesus said, and so I asked myself a question that I want you to ask, and it's a fair question. Okay, pastor, tell me, how is it more blessed to give than it is to receive? How does giving leave you better off than getting? Or let me ask a better question. Here's, here's the real question. What does giving do for you that getting never does? What does giving do for you that getting Never does. Well, as I began to study the Scripture and I began to listen simply to the words of Jesus, I discovered three things that giving does for you that getting doesn't. And three reasons why it's more blessed to give than to receive. So I just want to show you that what Jesus said is right, and I want to show you why he knew what he was talking about. We're in a brand new series this month. We're calling it In the Zone because it's so easy in the summer, especially to kind of zone out. We kind of, you know, we not only take a physical vacation, many of us take mental vacations, we take financial vacations, we take spiritual vacations, we take emotional vacations. Nothing wrong with a vacation as long as you don't get out of the zone of being everything for God that you ought to be. And so we decided it would be important that we start with this very concept because I'll tell you what I've learned in my own life. And I'm not just talking about money. Matter of fact, I'm talking about a lot more than money. I have learned that when I am really in the zone in giving, and when I'm really hitting on all eight cylinders in my giving, not just money, but giving who I am to people who need what I have, 
I found, man, I am in the center of God's zone for my life. So I want you to write down three things this morning. Just turn over the back of your worship service or your worship guide there. And I want you just to fill in these three blanks. Let me tell you what giving does. Number one, giving gives you the opportunity to accept the greatest invitation. Giving gives you the opportunity to accept the greatest invitation. Now I want to show you what I'm talking about. Most of us in this room have prayed on many occasions. I would dare say most of us have prayed somewhere sometime this morning before we came to church. You, you, you prayed. And I guarantee you there's one thing you and I all, we all have in common in our prayers. There's one prayer that you and I have prayed more in our lifetime than any other prayer. As a matter of fact, we have prayed a prayer that I promise you we probably have prayed more than every other prayer put together that we have prayed. And that prayer comes in two little words. Lord, bless. Now, you won't hardly go a day. I, I bet you you hadn't gone this day without you know, saying those words. For example, some of you said today, Lord, would you bless the church today? Lord, would you bless my pastor today? You went out and ate breakfast this morning. You said, Lord, would you bless my food? You got up, and as you woke up your children to get, ready, get them ready for church, you said, Lord, bless my family. You thought about the tough times you're going through. You said, Lord, bless my finances. You thought about the difficulties you face at work. You said, Lord, bless my business. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is that such an instinctive prayer? Why is it that's one prayer you never have to teach anybody to pray? Why is it from the time you can think about the earliest times when you begin to pray, somehow you begin to pray that prayer, Lord bless this, Lord bless this? Well, there's a reason that we so easily pray that prayer. Because instinctively we know this, instinctively we know there is nothing greater than having the blessing of God on your life, right? Let me ask you a question. Can you think of anything greater for your marriage than to have God bless your marriage? Can you think of anything greater for our church than to know that God will bless our church? I mean, what is our, what, what are our, what is our favorite patriotic song? God bless America. We will, you know, and, and, and why do you think every president will end every speech, God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. We're born instinctively knowing there is nothing greater in life than to have the blessing of God. Because if God is greater than any other force in the world, hear what I'm saying. If God is greater than any other force in the world, and you, you say, well, yes, he is, then it stands to reason that the blessing of God has to be greater than any other blessing. Say, so, okay, that makes sense. Well, in light of that, listen to the words again. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's say that together. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's say it again. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, think about this logically. I want you to think about this. Let's suppose I came to you, and I said, hey, I've got two blessings of God. God's going to give you two blessings, one of two blessings. You only have one. All right, now watch this. Let's just see uh, how, many, how many smart folks we got here in the church today. I say, look, in my left hand is a lesser blessing, and my right hand is a greater blessing. And so I say to you, now, which blessing would you want? Okay. All right, ready? This is a trick question. Left hand, lesser blessing. Right hand, greater blessing. How many of you would choose the right hand? All right. What? Let's try that again. Left hand, little blessing. Right hand, 
big blessing. How many of you would choose the right hand? Now all, that's right. Everybody but the Auburn and the Florida people. I get that, okay? But you got you say, yeah, man, I would choose the greater. You'd say, of course. You, what would you You'd say, Alex, I'll take the greater blessing for 200. I mean, that's what you would say. Now, let me just stop and make sure. I, I'm, not a nut, I'm not a whack job up here. I understand there is a blessing in receiving. Jesus didn't say there's no blessing in receiving. He said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Sure, there's a blessing in receiving. Receiving an an unanticipated inheritance or a gift out of the blue can really help you when you've got some bills to pay. To receive a scholarship to college, to get a tax refund, to have somebody else pick up the check, those are all blessings. And yet Jesus said there's even a greater blessing than getting. He said there's a greater blessing of giving. So let me tell you what giving is. I I want you to think about this. Giving is simply the invitation that God gives you to get in on his greatest blessing. That's what it is. Giving, and by the way, again, I'm not talking about just about money. Yeah, I'm talking about money, but I'm talking about more than money. Time, encouragement, friendship, help, hope. Giving is the invitation that God gives you to get in on his greatest blessing. In other words, when God invites you into the land of giving, listen now, it is not to take something from you. He invites you into the land of giving so he can give something to you that you would never get any other way. For example, giving is the only antidote. It is the only cure for some of the most serious psychological and spiritual diseases that people have for which there is no other cure. I'll give you some examples. Don't raise your hand, but I want you to be honest. Just, just be, listen to, no, no need. God knows your heart anyway, so no need to lie about it. If I were to ask you this question, how many of you would have to answer, yes, I do? Do you have a problem with greed? Do you have a problem with always wanting more? You ready? Are you addicted to shopping, buying, continually accumulating things even though you know you really don't need more than what you have? You say, yeah, Pastor, you're right, I've got a problem. Some of you in credit card debt because you bought things you don't need to impress people you don't like. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. You ready? There's only one way to be freed from greed. Give. Nothing snaps the poison, nothing snaps the chain of greed quicker than giving. Let me give you another illustration. Do you have a problem with, with selfishness? Do you have a problem with sharing with other people? Do you have a problem with eating off of other people's plates, but you don't want people eating off of yours? Now, don't, don't laugh. Don't you say a word. Pam Boone, you shut your mouth right now. <laughs> Do you know how to get free from that kind of selfishness? You give. God is a giver. And giving is simply God's invitation to you and me to say, hey, you want to be like me? You want to behave like me? You're here to, listen, you're here this morning. You know why you're here this morning? Because God chose to give you life today. God didn't have to give you life. God doesn't owe you another breath. He doesn't owe owe you another heartbeat. But God gave you life today. So you'd be here. 
This world is here today. Why? Because God chose to give it another day of existence. We have an opportunity to go to heaven. Why? Because God chose to give His Son for our sins and through His Son, eternal life. Now, if you're sitting here and maybe like me, you're an accounting major or you work with finances or you handle the money or you're a bottom line thinker and you're still not buying what I'm telling, you still think, I don't care what you say, I know how to do math and I'm telling you, giving takes away what I have and getting is the only way to go that I want you to write down the second statement. Giving gives you the opportunity to make the greatest investment. Not only to accept the greatest invitation, but to make the greatest investment. Now, what I'm about to read from you in, in the Gospel of Matthew, you're not going to hear this from your typical financial advisor, okay? But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now listen carefully to what Jesus is telling us. He said all the stuff that you and I have, all the stuff that's in your attic and in your basement and in your garage and in your house, all the furniture and the TVs and the radios and the bedroom suits and the, and the houses and, and, and the cars and the iPads and the iPhones and the computers, all this stuff that we buy and all the stuff that we store and all the stuff that we shelve and all the stuff that we have and all the stuff that, 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 that we keep. He says about it in verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, why shouldn't we do that? All right, listen carefully. It's not because earthly treasures are bad. There's nothing wrong with having an iPad. There's nothing wrong with living in a nice house. There's nothing wrong with driving a car. It's not that, that, that there's anything wrong with having stuff. That's not the point Jesus is making. The reason why Jesus said, don't put all of your eggs in the stuff basket. Don't lay up treasure in, in, on, on earth. The reason is stuff doesn't last. You, you take everything you own right now or everything you think you own. You take everything you work for, everything you are working for. I promise you, one of two things is going to happen to everything you have and everything I have. You are either going to lose it or you're going to leave it. One of two things ultimately happens with all that stuff. That is, you're either going to lose it. It's going to rot. It's going to depreciate. going to fall apart, become obsolete. It's going to, somebody's going to steal it. It's going to get broken. It's going to get destroyed. Or... You're going to leave it. You're going to die, and you're not going to take it with you. That's why Jesus goes on to give this alternative. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break, and, break in and steal. Now listen carefully. You ready? It is impossible to store up in heaven by getting. It's impossible. You only store up treasures in heaven by giving. Now, I want to give you this illustration, and this is not original with me. I read it in one of my favorite authors. When I read it, I said, that's one of the, most, that's one of the greatest illustrations I've ever read in my life. I don't share it with you. I want you to imagine, I want you to go back in time about 150 years. I want you to imagine that you're living at the end of the Civil War. Now, now, listen carefully. I want to give you this analogy. You're living at the end of the Civil War. Now, you're living in the South, but you're actually from the North. 
You just happen to move down to the south for a while, but your permanent home is in the north. And as a matter of fact, as soon as the war is over, you're planning to move back to to the north because that's where your home is. Now, I want you to imagine while you're in the south, you've accumulated all this Confederate currency. Okay, so you've got all this Confederate money. Now, I want you to imagine you're privy to some inside information. You know the north is going to win. You know the Confederacy is not going to last. Now, here's the question. You know the North's going to win. You know the Confederacy's going to collapse. You know you're going to move back to the North, but you've got all this Confederate money, right? Everybody with me? Raise your hand if you're with me. Everybody with me? All right, now here's my question to you. So if you were a smart person, what would you do with all of that Confederate money? What would you do with it? Well, if you're smart... You would cash in all of that Confederate money for what? Somebody tell me. Yeah, gold or United States dollars, right? You, you, that, you, you would do that. Let me, let me give an illustration. Here is a $1,000 Confederate bill, right? Here is a United States dollar. Now, if I had a ton of these, and I had none of these, and if I knew this was going to be worthless, and this would be the only thing that I, that I would have that would last, then I would take all of this that I could and exchange it for this. Why would I do that? Because the only money that's going to have value when the war is over is this. So here's what I would do, and here's what you would do. I would keep just enough of this to keep me alive. I'd keep just enough of this to kind of get me home until I could get back home. And then I'd have all of this real stuff to fall back on. Now, you ready? I got some inside information I want to give you. This world is not your home. You're just living here temporarily. And one way or the other, you're leaving here either by dying or Jesus Christ coming again to take you home. This world is not going to last forever, and neither are you, and neither is all the stuff that you have. And what you have on this earth, you're either going to lose it or you're going to leave it. So what, you, what, what God wants you to do while you're on this earth, God wants you to take this. And as much as you can, leverage it to invest in this. Well, what is that? It's giving to a church that preaches the Word of God where people are being saved. It's giving to a church where people are sent out all over the world to share the gospel with people who've never heard it. It's giving to missions. It's giving to people. It's giving to souls. It's giving to spread the gospel. It's giving to everything that God lays upon your heart that you know is going to a cause that is greater than you. Because let me tell you something. Whatever you give to Jesus Christ and whatever you give to his kingdom and whatever you give to his work is going to last forever. So what God is trying to tell all of us is, I want you to take all of your earthly stuff, that's your confederate money, that you don't need, and exchange it for heavenly treasure that's going to last forever. That's, I, I, I hope you understand that analogy. What I'm saying to you is, all this stuff that we work so hard to accumulate, it's all confederate money. 
And this world's going to end, and you're either going to die or Christ is coming back for you. And what you better be doing, yeah, you keep some of the Confederate money, you know, to stay alive, feed your family, and so forth. But what you ought to be doing is leveraging more and more of it for treasure in heaven. The famous missionary Jim Elliott, who was killed by the Aki Indians down in South America, giving his life to preach the gospel, made one of the greatest statements I've ever heard outside of the Bible. Listen to what Jim Elliott said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. To gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So if you're one of those bottom line thinkers out there, you're one of those accountants, you're one of those, you know, penny pinchers, you're one of those bean counters, I got news for you. Jesus was also a bottom line thinker. He is arguing from the bottom line that it's better to give than it is to receive, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's the smart thing to do. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And the way you send it ahead is by giving and investing in people who are going to heaven. Listen to these verses. 1 Timothy 6, verse 18 19. Listen to this. Listen, this is so good. Give happily to those in need, always being ready to share whatever God has given you. Now watch this. By doing this, you will be storing up real treasures for yourself in heaven. Let me give an example. Because of your giving, because of your faithfulness, because of your generosity, we were able to go to an orphanage in Nicaragua and completely turn that orphanage upside down. Before that orphanage, kids were sleeping on urine-soaked mattresses or slats. Now they've got brand new mattresses because of your generosity. Because of your generosity, now a roof that would re, a, a roof that used to leak when it would rain and it would pour rain on those kids, those roofs are being repaired. And for the first times, those kids don't have to worry about the rainy season. Windows that were broken and torn up where mosquitoes could come in and bite those kids and give them malaria. For the first time in the orphanage's history, they don't have to worry about that anymore. Because of your giving, now little bitty children, children like my little grandson and your grandchildren can sleep plumbing repairs, things that you and I take for granted, just being able to go to a clean working bathroom. Now, because of your generosity, those kids now have a clean facility where they can go just like we do. See, that's what giving does. Giving gives you the opportunity to make the greatest investment. And I'm here to tell you right now, to see those little kids and to get the pictures we're getting back right now, to see, it's like Christmas has come to those children because of your giving. And I want to tell you something. For me to lie down at night and think about 60 little children in an orphanage for the first time sleeping on a nice mattress in a dry place and not be afraid of malaria. Folks, you can't, listen, priceless, priceless. Last thing. Giving gives you the opportunity to have the greatest influence. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus said, giving. Now, listen, this is what's so fascinating. Jesus said, hey, wait a minute. Giving doesn't prevent you from getting. Now, he says something that is mind-boggling. Giving is the way to getting. I mean, if you want to really get things that count, giving's the way to do it. Remember what we said earlier? 
Giving does not take from you what you should not have. It gives you what you would never have if you did not give. Jesus said, the more you give, the more you get back. The more you give out, the more that comes back to you. Now, let me tell you why I know that has to be true. Pop quiz. Who is the greatest giver in the universe? God. God is the greatest giver in the universe. That's a title he will never give up. So he will never let you outgive him. In some way, some shape, some form, some fashion, every time you give to God, he'll give you more in return. Now, let me tell you what, I don't, I don't mean God's a slot machine. Okay, I give him a buck, he gives me ten. I'll tell you what that means. That means our church gives $21,000 and 60 kids have a good night's sleep. That's what that means. And I don't know about you. But for me to go to bed at night and know for the first time in those little kids' lives that this is the first time ever they can kind of sleep in a decent condition, that's worth a hundred times $21,000 to me. And God's already given. I hope just by those pictures, God's already given us more than we even gave. Because that's the way God operates. It's a law you can't break. By the way, that's true, that's true universally. Every time you give anything, time, encouragement, friendship, you'll get more of it back than you gave. Proverbs eleven twenty five says, a generous man will prosper and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You know what I found? When you give encouragement, you get encouraged. If you give a blessing, you get blessed. If you give friendship, you've got more friends. Listen, you, let's talk bottom line. What does the term ROI mean? I've asked you before, what does, that, what does it mean, ROI? What does that mean? Return on investment. That's right. Return on investment. All right. Let's suppose you decide to accept our 100-day challenge. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Let's suppose you decide for the next 100 days, in every way you can imagine, you say, every day I'm going to do some type of giving. All right. Let's suppose you decide, I'm going to accept your offer. I'm going to, I'm going to become a giver. You decide, I'm going to believe what Jesus said. Doesn't sound logical. Doesn't sound like it would go into my accounting class, but I'm going to believe what Jesus said, and I'm going to change my whole attitude toward giving and getting. I'm going to reverse what I've always thought. Instead of trying to become a getter, which causes credit card debt, unnecessary consumer spending, selfishness, greed off the chart, you decide, I'm not going to major on getting for the next 100 days. I'm going to major on giving. Now, you've got a right to ask this question. Well, what would be my ROI if I did that? Because I know if I get $100 and I put $100 in the bank, at least I can find 1% or 2% interest. So, you know, at the end of a certain length of time, I'll have $102 instead of $100. So I want to ask you, what is my ROI if I decide, all right, I'm going to start giving what I've never given before? Some of you never, don't ever give to this church, and you're going to decide, this, okay, I'm going to start giving something. Some of you give something. You decide, no, I'm going to start tithing for the next 100 days. Some of you tithe, and you say, you know what, I'm going to go beyond that. I'm going to give an offering for the next Let's say, whatever it is, I, I, I'm going to give more time in ministry, more time in service. I'm going to give time to visiting people in, 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 in senior adult living complexes. Or I'm going to spend time visiting someone in the hospital, visiting someone that's just lost their spouse. I, I'm going to decide I'm going to do. I'm going to really become a giver. What's the bottom line? Fair question. All right, Jesus tells us, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive, what's those next three words? Say it again. Say it again. A hundred times as much 
and, oh, by the way, cherry on the cake, will inherit eternal life. Now, I'll do a little math calculation. Do you know what a hundred times an investment works out to be if you do the math? You ready for this? That is 10,000% interest. You won't find the hedge fund out there doing that. You won't find the mutual fund doing that. You won't find any kind of fund that will give you that kind of return. And I, I just wish, I wish someday that many of you would wake up. I hope it will happen this morning and realize the reason why I talk about giving and the reason why Jesus talked so much about giving and the reason why Jesus talked more about giving than any other subject he ever talked about is, 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 is because when we encourage you to do that, you think, well, I know why you're doing it. You're trying to get something from me. Absolutely not. I'm trying to put you in a position where God will give you things that you wouldn't have if you don't give. And not only will God give you things you wouldn't get, He will give you things that will last. That's why we're going to try to make it easy for you to live. That's why we're introducing a hundred ways in a hundred days. You probably saw this. It's uh, in, in your order. I think we put in everybody's order of worship. A hundred ways in a hundred days. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Over the next hundred days, we're going to ask you for the next 100 days on a daily basis, if you can, to find some way that you can give your time, your talents, your resources to God. We set up some resources at our website. You, you can see the address on the screen and, and it's in the insert on your worship guide. And it'll tell you how you can be a giver of 100 days in 100 ways. Now, just think about how do you think our families and our community and our church would be impacted if each of us for the next 100 days beginning today said, okay, I'm going to take your challenge. Some way, somehow, it may be time, it may be talent, it may be money, it may be resources. I'm going to find a way to give. Just think about it. We're going to give in our relationships by sharing uh, our story in Christ with a friend or a family member. Just what might happen. Uh, we're going to give of our talents and time in either a mission trip or, or some kind of a ministry this summer. Or, or, or we're going to step up to the plate financially, and we're going to be faithful in the next 100 days. We're going to give God an offering. We're going to give God his tithes. I promise you the ROI, the return on your investment will be amazing, and God could use our giving. I'm telling you to do things in our church we can't even think is possible because Jesus himself said, the more you give, the more God says, I promise you, you will get because I will not let you outgive me. That's a title I will not relinquish. So I want to close with a story. It's, a, it's, it's, it's cool, one of the coolest stories I've ever come across. And it's about a monk. And he was traveling down the road one day and he found this precious stone. It was a jewel and it was worth a tremendous amount of money. And so he put it in his knapsack and he kept it. Well, one day a traveler came by and was very hungry, and the monk opened up his bag to share some food with him. And the traveler looked in that bag, and he saw this, this jewel. So he asked the monk, he said, do, do you know what that, that stone is? And he said, well, yes, I do. And he said, do, do you know how valuable that stone is? And the monk said, well, yes, I do. He said, do you know how much money that stone would bring? He said, well, yes, I do. And just on a whim, he said to the monk, would you give me that stone? And without any hesitation, the monk said, sure, and reached into his knapsack and gave it to him. Well, the traveler departed. He was so overjoyed this unexpected gift. He had gone from being a pauper to a prince. He was now an instant, instant, instant millionaire. He knew holding that stone, I've got the wealth and the security that will take care of me for the rest of my life. 
He was so happy as he went on his way, and the monk was even happier than he was. A few days later, however, he came back looking for that monk. And when he found him, he started fussing at him. He said, you rascal, you. The monk said, what? He said, you take this back. And he took out the stone out of his pocket, and he gave it back to him. And the monk said, why are you doing that? He said, I know you. I got you figured out. I want you to give me something far more precious than that stone. And the monk, with his quizzical look on his face, said, what in the world do I have I could give you that's more valuable than that stone? And the man looked at him and said, I want you to give me whatever it was that moved you to give me that stone in the first place. I want you to give me whatever it was that moved you to give me that stone in the first place. I pray in the name of Jesus that we'll all discover whatever it was that caused God to love us so much. He gave his only begotten son that we might have eternal life. That we might have a relationship with him. That we might be like him. We might behave like him. And therefore that we could live such a life that we could show others by the way we live and walk in faith. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Let's pray together. With his bowed and eyes closed, if you don't believe the greatest blessings of life come in giving, I'm going to prove it to you. The Bible says when you give your life to Jesus Christ, what do you get in return? You get forgiveness for all of your sins. You get eternal life. You get a relationship with God that never ends, that never, ever ends. You get a peace that passes all understanding in your heart. You get a fellowship of believers. You get a family of brothers and sisters that you can spend eternity with. I could go on and on and on. But just that one act, just that one act of giving your life to Jesus Christ, and you already by far, eternity far, get more than you ever give. So I'm going to invite you this morning to perform the greatest act of giving you'll ever do, and that is to give your heart and to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that today, I'm going to ask you right now to pray this prayer with me right now. If you're here today and and you either know you don't have a relationship with God or you're not sure whether you do or not, but you'd like to know it, then I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for giving your life for me. I want to thank you that on the cross you died for my sins and you gave your blood that my sins might be forgiven. So, Lord Jesus, today I give you the one thing that you want more than anything else. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give everything I am to everything you are. I confess you as my Lord. I trust you as my Savior. I repent and turn away from my sin. And I receive your incredible gift of eternal life. Now, If if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you were sincere, 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give one other thing back to me. Here's what I want you to give. It's real simple. I want you to take that registration card that was attached to your order of worship this morning, your worship guide, and all I want you to do is just simply fill it out, put a name and some information, enough information where we can contact you in some way. And then there's a little box there that says, Today, I made a decision to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. I just want you to check off that box. Say, so that's it, that's it. I'll tell you what to do with that card in a moment. Now, there's some of you here this morning, and you may say you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've never, ever given God the next thing He wants you to give Him, which is your obedience by being baptized. The very first thing that God expects of a believer is to follow Him in baptism. Well, well, why is that so important? Because that's the way you give a public testimony of your faith in God and your faith in Christ. And that's what these two who are coming today to be baptized are giving to all of us the opportunity to see what it is to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. This is Mr. Ronnie Adams. Ronnie is...